What's up, everybody? It is good to be with you. And according to Pastor Jeff, I need to rework my notes. That is not what I was... I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, it's going to be a fun weekend. If you're watching online, watching at Montrose, it is good to see you guys as well. Uh, yeah, we are going to have a fun weekend, and it is Father's Day. It's, it's a fun season. If you have not been around Grace super long, uh, Jeff, our senior pastor, uh, he utilizes summer pretty strategically. And so while he does take a, a week here and there to do a little bit of just personal time off, he also usually spends a chunk of the summer visiting our other campuses. This is one of eight campuses, actually, of Grace Church. And he's the senior pastor of all of those, as well as uh, connecting with a lot of our networks at conferences and stuff like that. So uh, it's good for him to, to get out there and see kind of the rest of what our family uh, is doing. So that's really, really good. And it's been fun for us to dive into these questions because honestly, these questions come across uh, our desk all the time. Uh, these things where people are just trying to figure out their faith and trying to figure out what God has for them. And so we are going to be diving into this idea of you know, what is our eternity and what does heaven look like and stuff. But since it is Father's Day weekend, I'm also going to take full advantage and just show you some old pictures. So we got this going on right here. So this is my uh, family. I, I, I love this because there was something about growing up where it's like, if we were going to have a picture, we had to match. Uh, always. Like, I remember, like, down to the socks some years. I'm like, mom, we don't all need to wear the same red socks. Like, but she made us, uh, right? And so what you probably can't tell, because, you know, back in the day, pictures weren't that clear. Uh, these are all stonewashed jeans. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing right there. That's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, I think this was when I was in college. This is when I graduated high school. This is when I graduated college, which is really cool. Uh, not because of when I graduated college, but because I had hair uh, then. And uh, that was always a dream of my life. But, um, Kind of moving on, right? I'll have it again in heaven one day. So, or I won't, because then you won't recognize me. So we'll just have to see how hair in particular plays out uh, one day. But, um, you know, a lot of times when we ask this question in particular about eternity and about heaven, I think a lot of times it's rooted in like our insecurities about it. And so it's not simply like, am I going to heaven? A lot of times that question is, I don't know for sure that I am, or can I lose the salvation that I have that would take me to heaven? Uh, where is my, my foundation in that? How can I grasp a hold of what God has? And so that, that's kind of the stuff that we're going to look at. Like, can we mess it all up? Uh, can, can, is that in our hands? Is that in our ability uh, to mess with that? So if you'll kind of ride the train with me here a little bit, before we get into specifically, uh, can, can I lose my salvation or how do I have an eternal security or a hope in heaven? What is all that about? I actually just want to start with the baseline question of what is heaven? Uh, what is it that we're even looking at that we would be moving toward? What is it that Jesus talks about? And so we'll look at a few scriptures to draw that up. And then from there, like, how do I get there? Like, how do I get to the place to where I even know that I would be on my way toward heaven? And then we'll get to the question of, like, how can I be confident in it? Uh, so once we kind of know what it is and how we get there, like, how can I have any confidence in this whatsoever? Or maybe even ask another way, like, can I lose my salvation? And so that's what we're going to take a strong look at. Now, I also want to acknowledge that the word heaven is used in lots of different ways in our culture that have like nothing to do with what Jesus talks about as heaven. And so we'll like eat a piece of cheesecake and we're like, oh, this is like a slice of heaven, you know? And, uh, and who knows, maybe that cheesecake will be there, but it's not in and of itself a descriptor uh, of heaven. Or we'll like go on vacation and we'll like walk out onto the sandy beach or we'll have that view of the mountain like, oh, this, 
this is heaven. And again, like maybe it'll have places that look like that or better, but like in and of itself, it's not heaven. Or like some of us in middle school, we got invited to participate in this thing called like seven minutes in heaven. I'm not actually sure what that's all about. I was never invited. Uh, But like those kind of things, um, you know, we use heaven in weird ways sometimes, right? And it has very little to do with what Jesus is talking about. But it's also not some of the like fickle stuff. So I'm going to probably put some of our minds at ease here because it's also not like singing in a choir forever. Uh, you know, like we don't like show up to heaven, like get your choir robe and like, okay, you go stand on the risers in height order, you know, and now we're singing the Alleluia chorus for all of eternity. Like, here we go. Like, that is not uh, a, an accurate depiction of heaven. Now, I do think we'll probably sing more than we think in heaven, and I think we'll probably like it a lot more than we think in heaven, but all of heaven is not just simply singing. And so uh, that's the thing. We're also not going to turn into chubby little babies and float on clouds forever, right? And so like that, that is a good sign uh, for so many reasons, but uh, that is not something you would find in the scripture. And I'll see how good your pop culture references are here. It's also not an eternal supply of frozen yogurt, okay? So uh, in the good place. And so heaven is not those things, but then on a more serious note, it's also not some cultural things that we actually tend to hear a lot of. And so uh, in my position, I get to help with a decent amount of things like funerals or memorial services and stuff. And it, it never seems to fail that someone or multiple people in these instances will utter things like, well, now, you know, grandpa or now grandma is like watching over us. Nowhere in scripture do we, do we get that impression uh, at all. Plus, I'm kind of glad for that. I'm kind of glad like grandma's not watching me shave. Uh, that's just weird. Or like when I decide to slam the large pizza that grandpa's not, now you know better. You know, like it's just like our, our loved ones are not in that position. And there's a whole nother uh, rabbit trail that we could go down that kind of show what that experience might be like for those of us that have already passed away and are in the presence of God. Um, we also uh, do not turn into angels or get our wings. Um, and so I know that that's something that people say, like, you know, now so-and-so is getting their wings or all that kind of stuff. Like, that is not scripture. Matter of fact, the Bible makes it pretty clear that angels are angels and humans are humans. Uh, and so we would be just as likely to turn into, like, cheetahs as we would be to turn into angels. Like, it's something different. And so that's a thing. And then another version of this is, like, heaven is not just your own personal national park. Uh, like, I've heard some people say, like, you know, like, I can't wait to just get my own big piece of land and, like, all this kind of stuff. And, again, I'm not actually saying that, like, land as we know it won't be somehow a part of the experience of heaven. We'll get into that here in a second, actually. Um, but, like, it's not just, like, your own personal Wyoming. You know, like, you, there, there's more to heaven than just uh, the, kind of the perfection of, of nature, right? And so it's, it's all of those kind of things. Or even if you were just like, I'm pretty sure heaven means I just get to play golf all the time or just means I get to like knit all the time or like whatever your definition of heaven would be. It's not necessarily those things. But what does the Bible say about our eternity? What does Jesus say when he talks about heaven? And that's where we're going to start first, actually. So in John chapter 14, Jesus actually says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, what I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. This is actually one of my favorite passages in all scripture because there's such a relational tie to this. It's not Jesus saying like, boy, I sure hope you make it to Wyoming one day. What he's saying is like, no, actually, this is my father's house. 
right? There's a lot of room in my father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come get you and bring you there to be with me. But you see, you sense how much like relationship is wrapped up in this. This is not just like you get a lot of good stuff when you get to heaven, so it's going to be great. Like that's not what Jesus says. He, he makes sure that we get this picture. Now, this is important for lots of reasons because first of all, like this is our father's home. So like if we wouldn't want to be at our heavenly father's house, heaven won't feel a whole lot like heaven because it will be with him. And if we didn't want anything to do with Jesus, he says, well, I'm going to come get you so that you can always be with me. Right? And so we're like, actually, I'm not sure I want a whole lot to do with Jesus. Well, then like heaven is not going to be something that you're going to be super excited about because Jesus describes it in very relational terms. And then he also says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so if you know Pastor Jeff at all that was just on that video, like you know that his room is going to be like this perfect shade of blue and this perfect shade of yellow with big old M's just wrapped on it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, at least if I was preparing a place for Jeff to be in eternity for heaven, that's what I would do to him. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you actually, right? I'm, you know, OH, obligatory. Yeah. Okay. So uh, like all those different things, like, but Jesus goes to prepare a place for you. Like, let that settle in for a minute. Like Jesus sees you, he knows you, he understands you, and when he invites you to be home with our heavenly father, he's like, it's you that I had in mind as I prepared this for you. Now, there are some other passages. Let's look at Revelation for a little bit. Uh, this is referring to Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Lamb in the midst of the throne, right, in the midst of all of the kingdom, all of the splendor of God, will be their shepherd. He will be the people that have put their faith and trust in him. He will be their shepherd. He will be their guide as he guides them to the springs of living water. He is ushering us towards the, the, the definition, the source of life. He will be the one to do that. Again, a very relational term. And then there's these two verses in chapter 21 where uh, the, the writer John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. If you know uh, about the, the book of Genesis in particular, like when, when we kind of messed things up, when sin and trauma and pain entered the world, our whole world became cursed. And so Jesus is helping us understand that everything we know will be made new. It's not just that we will somehow become a, a, a healthy uh, resurrection eternal version of ourselves, but that everything, a new heaven, a new earth, and then he continues, and the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the lamb, again, Jesus, is its light. There's a few things here. One is that somehow this, this landing place of what heaven will look like will have some, sem excuse me, some semblance of a city, there's some type of communal nature, some type of uh, working together nature that somehow will be interconnected. And that might mean our eternal work, that might mean our internal living space, that might mean we're neighbors, that might mean we have really, really good apartments that Jesus prepared for us. I don't for sure know what that means because it doesn't dive in much beyond that, but it does describe at least a portion of heaven as a city. And then it says that the glory of God, which like these words sometimes like, 
I don't, they just like feel weird, like glory, you know? It's like, if it's not talking about God or football, I don't know what glory means, right? So, but like the glory of God, all that God is, all of his splendor, all of his magnificence is so amazing that it will be the light that we need to go about our days, that God will be with us, right? And the Lamb, Jesus Christ, will be the light for all that we need. And then here's another one from Revelation chapter 7. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All of the struggles, all of the pain, all of the sin, all of the trauma, all of the the things we have to fight on a day in and day out basis, all of the habits that we can't seem to shake, all of the things that weigh us down, all of the stuff that destroys and just eats at our life, God will wipe away those tears and make every new. Now, it can be hard to just start navigating all of these different passages throughout the scripture and really trying to get a full picture, though it's fun. And it's amazing, actually, when you really start reading through the scriptures in light of God, what is your eternity and what will it look like? It's really cool to see how he illustrates and paints that picture. But I wanted to help with this by giving you just three words to think through as we think about heaven. And these were the three words that I came up with, relationship, reward, and healing. Relationship, reward, and healing. That as we think through the, the, the language that Jesus uses to describe this time, he uses all of these relational words. Come home to be with the Father. Come and be with me. I will be your shepherd. I will be your guide. I will be there with you always. It's so relational. And then there's this idea of reward, that heaven will be new that our eternity will be new and fresh and that there will be this new heaven and new earth and that there will be all of this like splendor and our souls will have this like, oh, this is what it was meant to be like. This is how it was meant to be and it will feel like this eternal reward to step into this heaven with God and then healing, right? Healing all the maladies, all the issues, all of the struggles, the limps, the, the things that are just painful, the th- healed, that it will finally be restored to wholeness in the presence of God forever in heaven. And everything that we can think of that is good now Every joy, everything that causes you to smile, everything that makes you happy, every relationship that you love, all of those things are a dim reflection of what God has in store. Everything that we love is just a drop in the bucket compared to what God has for us forever. We are only looking at a veiled reality compared to what Jesus is establishing and preparing for us. Now, because Pastor Jeff shot this video and said this is what I was teaching on this week, um, but also, actually, a couple years ago, I I started uh, dreaming about, like, well, what would heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Because if it's not cherubs on clouds and it's not playing the harp for eternity, if it's not those things, what, what would it be like? And I, I just tried to do some math on, like, what will these years look like? Because it, I don't know if you're like me, maybe you're better at vacationing than I am, but like whenever I travel, like if I go away for a week, it's almost for sure that on day five or six, like my mind starts going back to reality. 
right? Like, well, what do I got to get done? And what do I got to catch up with? And who do I need to call? And what are the things I got to do? And even though my vacation's not over, like my mind goes back. I, I can barely vacation for a week, right? And so when I start to think about like, well, this is eternity, I'm like, how am I going to do that? You know, am I going to get a week into heaven and going, well, uh, you know, time to go back to work. You know, like, I just like, how, how does that play out? But then I started to think through, like Mandy and I, probably our favorite hobby, like what do you like to do together as a couple? Like our answer is probably travel. Um, Matter of fact, even this year as we were planning out our uh, kind of our year and where we thought our money would go, like we're looking at our front stoop and our front stoop's about four stairs and there's a hole in the stairs. There's a hole. Most people don't have a hole in your front stairs. Like maybe you do and so you feel my pain, but there's a hole in the steps. And we decided, should we fix the steps or should we travel? We should travel, right? Like, it's just like, that is like pretty much outside of like, what does the Lord want us to do with our money? And we should probably like feed our child. Other than those things, like our priority is like, we, we just love to explore. We love to travel. And whenever we can cram in a couple of days, we try to do it. And so we love that. Now, how long would it take to explore everything you wanted to explore on this earth? Every waterfall, every canyon, every view from the lake, every, which one is the best beach? I should probably visit them all just to be sure. Every mountain view, every mountain peak. And then like, that's just nature. I didn't even hit it all, but like, then like every city. I love visiting different cities. I, I love tasting the eclectic foods and the different restaurants and, and going to the different, and the different sites in the city and checking out the bridges and walking the trails and doing all this. Like, how long would it take to explore everything we wanted to explore on this earth? Thousands of years to see everything? And that's if we only saw it once. Because I don't know about you, but once I find something I like, I like to go back. Man, that place had great pizza. Man, that place had wonderful subs. Man, that place had excellent sushi. Man, that place, and then like, man, I loved that hike and that view in the woods. Man, I want to go back to that lake, right? So you start repeating, well, how long does it take to visit everywhere and then revisit all the places you want to visit? And then that's just me and my wife. Because after that, what do you like to do with places that you love? Oh, you guys got to come see this. And so I'm going to take you to the lake. And the thing is, we have eternity. So when I just said I'm going to take you to the lake, I wasn't being hyperbolic. Let's go. And not just all of you at once. Like, I'm going to take the lows first, right? I'm going to go, we're going to go to the lake. And then, like, enough with them, right? I'm going to take the chambers. Like, here we go. We're going to the lake. You know, okay, enough with them. Like, I'm going to go with Sonny. Like, Sonny, hey, let's go to the lake. You know, oh, Nolan's, hey, let's go to the lake. Hey, Hoffman's, let's go to the lake right? And we're just like, this is lasting for eternity and like all the different places we want to go visit. And then let's just mix it all up together, right? And like, hey, Terry, let's go to the lake. We're going with the lows, right? And we're going to mash this together. We're going to get different friends and we're going to go do this. And it's like over and over and over and over. And by the time that we explore all of God's new heaven and new earth by ourselves, let alone the time that I call Adam and Haley to go, by the time I call all of you all to go, like it's just amazing what will happen, 
it will be thousands upon thousands upon probably tens of, not hundreds of thousands of years in, and we'll feel like we've just barely explored what God had for us in his new reality, and we've only gone with a few people, and all of a sudden we're like, this could take forever. And he's like, yep, it sure could. And on top of that, that's just the, that's the exploration part. Some of you are like, I actually was just kind of hoping heaven would be me and a couple of good books. And by a couple, I mean a couple thousand good books. And just read, okay, we'll catch you next time after you read a thousand years in a row. Like, just go for it. And I don't know what movies will look like in heaven, but some of you were like, I was just kind of hoping I'd have a theater screen and I could just watch my favorites over and over. And I was hoping that maybe I could get good at filmmaking and I would make good movies. I don't know, but that'll take an awfully long time and you'll love it. And then you'll, and then who wants to watch a movie from the peak of Mount Everest? Let's go. You know, it's just like heaven will have these endless possibilities, these endless relational connections, these endless things. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, all of the things I just described will pale in comparison to our deep desire to be with Jesus in person. You, you won't want to peel yourself away from the presence of God to even go do all the things that I just mentioned because being with him will be that good. We find such identity and security and, and wholeness and what we were created to be in our father that he will overshine everything else. So this just begs the question then, well, wait a minute, if that's heaven, well, how do I get there? So how do I get to heaven? And if you have any version of that question cycling around in your brain, you're in good company because Jesus' disciples asked it too. Jesus' disciples, they've already been hanging him out with him for a couple of years, and they're asking the same question. And so many of us, we have things in our head like, well, you got to be a good person. you got to do this. you got to work hard. you got to make sure this happens. you got to go to church. you got to... What did Jesus actually say about where, where and how to get to heaven? Well, he actually continues in the passage we started in, in John 14, and Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. And I can imagine Jesus thinking to himself, like, you've been hanging out with me for a couple of years, so you know how this works. And the first thing Thomas is like, um, question? No, I actually don't know for sure the way that I'm going because if I'm supposed to go down I-77 and I'm on I-76, I don't want to mess this up, right? So like, how do we get there? We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Well, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, if you've been around the Christian faith for probably even a relatively medium amount of time, you've probably heard the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that phrase like, tends to just rattle off, and we almost miss some of the wonder of what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, I am the way. He doesn't say, I know the way. He doesn't say, the way is really simple. All you gotta do is come down the same pathway as I'm going. He says, I am the way. He's not withholding directions. He's not withholding instructions. He's not saying like, I, I know how, but if you don't know me, there's no way I'm gonna open up the book and show you. He is the way. He is the way. Well, I'm not sure I really wanna hang out with Jesus. Well, he, 
He is the way. Like, he is the way. Well, I don't know if I want to hang out with Jesus. Well, he is the life. So all of the things that you're dreaming about, wondering about, hoping for in heaven, all of that life spring, all of that living water, all of that creation, all of that relational healing, all of the reward, all of the relationship, well, that sounds really good. Okay, well, Jesus is the life. Jesus is the one where all of that springs forth from. Well, I'm not really sure I want Jesus. Well, what you just said was, I'm not sure I want life because Jesus is life and everything flows through him. Well, I'm not sure that really, I just want, I want my own personal Wyoming. It doesn't exist outside of Jesus. Well, I'm not sure I want to hang out with him a lot. Just show me how to get there and I'll live peacefully over to the side. No, no, no. You misunderstand. He is the way. He is The pathway, being with him, is what gets us into whatever our heart and mind and soul are longing for in heaven. What God is promising comes from being with Jesus. No, 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 I'll get there on my own. That's not how we do it. We have to be there with him. He is the way. And if we don't want to be with God, if we don't want to be with Jesus... then heaven is not for you. Because heaven is where he is. Heaven is where he's the light. Heaven is where God himself is making room for you, where Jesus is preparing a room for you. Heaven is relational. If we don't want to be with him, then we don't want heaven. Now, certainly, we start to think to ourselves, then, okay, fine, if he's the way, how do, I, how do I make sure I get on that path? What must I do to get there? Because our minds, because we're human, we start thinking, I need to earn my way. I need to earn my right. I need to get my ticket. But all throughout the scriptures, we're gonna run into language like this in Romans where it says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, They're not a gift. When they work, their wages are something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous. People are counted as being worthy to be in heaven, worthy to be with Jesus and God in heaven, not because of their work. Let that phrase just permeate your soul. It is not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. It's not because of your work. It's not because you're a good person. Besides, how good is good enough? Pastor Brad walked us through a version of this last week. He showed us what good even means. What if we were one, help the old lady across the street away from being with Jesus? You'd certainly go back. I had done that. I'd have totally done that. I'd have totally walked across the street one more time. I didn't know. Or the opposite. You clicked one too many times on those websites. One too many times, and ah, that put you over the scale. You're done. I'd have avoided it at least one more time if I'd have known. Your works are not what get you there. It's your faith in God that puts you in his righteousness, that puts you in with Christ. When we trust in him, he's the one that does the rest. You'll see passages like this in Ephesians 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed, you received God's grace. I love roller coasters. Love them. 
love them. And what I've noticed over the years is whether you're like me and you're like, I don't care if it's faster, taller, bigger, curvier, upside down, flying position, it doesn't matter, I love them. You can be there with me or you can be the person that's like, I'm pretty sure these are death machines. Okay, there's like a whole spectrum there, right? Here's the thing. It doesn't matter how much faith I have in a roller coaster. If I have enough faith to sit in the seat and let the thing clinch me down, the roller coaster gets me to the end. It doesn't matter if my faith in the roller coaster is amazing and I got the hands up and I know how to pose for the picture, you know, I know where the camera is, what's up, I'm gonna do all that kind of stuff. Or if you're like, you know, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much faith you have in the roller coaster. Once you've had enough faith to say, I trust this ride won't kill me. I trust that if I put myself in the, in the care of this roller coaster, that I will get to the other side. It will not be a problem. It does not matter how much faith I carry. I believed in that roller coaster, and it will get me there. It does not matter how much faith you have in Jesus. The fact that you said, Jesus, I trust that you are the way. Jesus, I trust that you are the truth. Jesus, I trust that you are the life. Then his grace covers us the whole rest of the way. Well, I don't know, Joe. Like I decided to follow Jesus like two years ago and I have been a mess since then. I can't get this right. I can't. His grace is how you're saved. God saved you from his grace. You didn't earn it. You don't earn it now. You won't earn it in the future. His grace, what we do not deserve, is what takes us to the finish line. You're like, Joe, even today though, I messed up. I sinned today. Congratulations for admitting what I probably do a hundred times a day. I sin all the time. I'm so imperfect, it's not funny. And yet God's grace covers me. He zeroes me out. He clears my debt. I want to do some math with you for a second. Some of your stomachs just turned upside down. I think simple math. If I sin three times today, which would be low, but Jesus is still the perfect Savior that died on the cross for me and rose again, proving he had power over life and death. So his debt is zero, but my debt is apparently three today. What's three times zero? Thank you. Montrose, I hope you're locked in here. Online folks, you can do math too. What, what if I mess up 3,278 times today? And then I multiply that time as the grace and the goodness and the perfection of Jesus Christ. What is 3,278 times zero? Online, Montrose, do you agree? Jeopardy music, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it's zero. It's zero. Because it's grace. You don't deserve it. I certainly don't deserve it. We do not get to heaven because we nailed life. We do not get to heaven because we're smarter. We don't get there because we're better. We don't get there because we figured something out. We, we get to heaven because we put our trust in Jesus. And when we believed, when we believed that he was the way and the truth and the life, the gift of salvation was given to us. Our balance, whatever our sin balance is, 
is always cleared because of Christ. His righteousness, his goodness always trumps and erases our imperfection. That's why we'll hear phrases like this, grace through faith. I believe, I trust in who Jesus is, and therefore I get the grace of God because of it. Jesus, you, you are the one I put my faith in. Now, can I lose my salvation? Can I steal the gift back? We have to understand that this is a gift this was not something we earned. This isn't on loan. This isn't on credit. This is a gift. And the giver is good for it. Let's go back to that Ephesians 2 verse. God's saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. You can't take credit for it and that goes both ways. You didn't earn it. And you can't unearn it. It's a gift from God. You ever notice how grandma gives birthday presents to the good grandkids and to the rotten ones? It's a gift. <laughs> it's your birthday. I guess I'm celebrating you anyway, you little snot. Like, it's just like, it's a gift. The grandkids didn't earn it. They just get it. It's just a gift. God gives us, grants us this gift when we put our trust and faith in him and in light of heaven, that eternal reward, that place that he's establishing, the relationship of his love that he's ushering us back into to be secure in him, to be with him for all time, the healing that he offers to us because of his goodness. All of that is a gift because of the goodness and the wonder and the love of God. No matter how bumpy our roller coaster is, he is the one responsible for getting us there at the end as long as we decided to trust him for the ride. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Now, some of us, we think we've done some pretty bad things. And you're like, but Joe, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand what I have said. You don't understand where I have turned my back on God. You don't understand the people that I've hurt. You don't understand the destruction that I've brought into my own life. But the scripture says where our sin increased, grace increased all the more. The Bible says in Hebrews 7 that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him completely, not halfway, you meet him halfway, completely. Romans 8 says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. But nothing. Well, you don't understand. Nothing. To think that we would have the power as God holds our life in his hands, that we can peel back his fingers and we can say, God, never mind, I'm the one person that your, your gift doesn't apply to because I am that. No. The gift 
of God through Christ saves us. Isaiah chapter 12 says, surely God is my salvation. Not how good I am, not how awesome I am, not what I've done. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. I trust in Christ. And you are invited to trust in him as well. The two words that Jesus repeats over and over are follow me, follow me, follow me, because he is the way. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Follow me. How can I know the way to heaven? Follow me, I am the way. What kind of religion am I supposed to? Follow me, be with me. Connect with me. Let me show you and walk with you and help you all the way. Now, why, why would God want us to have the security of his grace on earth? Is it just so that one day we do end up in heaven? Or is there a reason that he would repeatedly try to show us it's because of grace, it's because of me, it's because of my power, my love, my strength that you are saved. It has nothing to do with you. Why would he try to assure us of those things? I think it is simply this, and this brings me so much peace. It is because we can begin with the end in mind. We can begin with the end in mind. I tried to think of something else where this played out in my life. But in the last year or so, I've had quite the journey with my health, with, with my weight. And I've, if I'm being honest, that journey started late into my teen years. It's been like a 20 plus year journey. And part of the reason that was a struggle and a journey for me is because every time I was faced with a decision, I was in the midst of that decision in the very moment. And so every time it was like, do I walk into the gas station and do I get two Swiss rolls or do I say no? It was only the weight of that decision that was before me. When it was, do I want to have five pieces of pizza or do I be a normal person and only have two, maybe three? It was the weight of that decision at that moment. Do I want three sweet teas from Chick-fil-A or not, right? Do I want like to eat 500 calories as a snack right now when I just ate a meal three minutes ago? Why not? Because those decisions were right in front of me and the weight of those decisions just piled on and piled on and piled on, no pun intended, because I couldn't get out of the, the moment right in front of me because every decision was so heavy, was so weighty, and I couldn't break out of my own addictions. I couldn't break out of that own cycle because I had no vision for what was possible. I literally would have told you it would not be possible for me to ever lose any weight. It would not be possible for me to see any of those victories. It cannot happen. It will not not happen and therefore every decision was always just right here and I failed and I failed and I failed and I failed and the misery of being in that cycle I can't express to you how that made me feel and one day I felt like God helped me get a vision for what was possible that I finally started to see that like, no, Joe, like this is something that you actually can see in your own life. 
Joe, it's going to take some decisions, but it's, it, this is a victory that you can, in fact, have. And if you go down that pathway, this is what this could look like. And I started to, I know that I'm not in charge of the days that I have on this earth that is all numbered by God ahead of time. But as far as my responsibility is concerned, I'm like, I don't want to leave my wife and my daughter earlier than I'm supposed to simply because I've been irresponsible. And I started to get a vision for that. And I started to get a vision for what's possible. I started to get a vision for what life change could actually be. And God, moment by moment, started helping me through that. And it's still a moment by moment thing, but the vision is there because I started instead, instead of seeing the Swiss rolls or the pizza or the sweet tea, I started to see that. And I'm like, if that's where I'm headed, this is just a momentary thing, a momentary hurdle that if I can just push past this, I'm on my way there. So when Jesus is trying to give us a clear picture of heaven, and he's trying to show us that I have prepared a place for you with your name on it. I want to give you that eternal security in a relationship with God, your creator and your savior forever. You never have to worry again if you belong. You never have to worry again if you found your family. You never have to worry again about your identity or have question marks about all the things in life because you will be with me. You never have to worry about the pains and the worries and the rain and the heat and the poison ivy and all of the maladies of life because you have the security of my new heaven and my new earth. You never once again, you never ever ever have to worry about your issues, your knee, your back, your cancer, your, is, your heart. You never have to worry, because I have healed you forever. And when you can get a vision for where God is taking you, when these momentary struggles hit us in life, you're like, you know what? I can get through this because I trust in God and where he's taking me. And I have trusted in him. I am strapped into this roller coaster of life, and he will get me there. He wants us to have confidence in the hope of heaven and eternity so that our lives can be turned upside down now. So that when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, he didn't mean, well, this is heaven. He meant when you understand the hope of heaven, your life will change forever. Because you will no longer see the momentary struggles the same. You will no longer see the things that you're going through because you understand that this is just a dip in the ride. This is just a peak of the ride. I'm upside down now, but I trust where Jesus is taking me. I have the hope of heaven because he has promised it. And when we can see the hope of heaven through the eyes of Jesus it will become one of the most assured things that we have in this life. A week ago, me and a few other people from my life group were headed home from Guatemala. We went on a missions trip uh, down there, and it was great. So many things, whole different message. But this place that we go is about a nine-hour, eight, nine-hour drive away from the airport. There's no closer airport we checked it's about an eight, nine-hour drive. So on the way back to the city, we had about a seven-hour drive ahead of us. We'll stay overnight there and then make the rest of the journey to the airport. And on that seven-hour drive, we ran into some roadblocks. We ran into some traffic. We ran into like some things happening in a community where we weren't going to pass. And so we're like, well, we can sit here for hours and, and just wait out something that we have no idea how this is going to play out when the roads may or may not open back up. Or, thank God for Google Maps, we pull up Michael, thank you, Michael, pulled up his Google Maps, like, I'm pretty sure there's a road back here. 
So we backed the van up to this road, and all of a sudden we're like, that road? That dirt path? <laughs> like, that's on Google Maps? It's like, that's it, and it will get us around. Okay. And so we start taking the van down this dirt bumpy path, and we don't know where we're, we're going deep into the mountains of Guatemala, and we're just up and down and over, and he's like, it's still showing. Like, this is the thing. There's going to be a road up here on the right. Don't take that. And sure enough, there goes the road. We're like, oh, my gosh, this is taking us where we need to go. And then we get up, and then we get to a, a place. We're supposed to get back on the main road. It's still blocked off. The roadblock is still there. We're like, well. So we literally back the van back down the hill like a quarter mile, which was an interesting thing in and of itself. And we turn around, and there goes, we're just going to go this way. And we go over there, and we finally make it back to the road, and it looks like we're past all of the red traffic. And we're like, I think we made it. And we hit the road, and we start going. Well, they get down the road a little bit farther, and there was like one of the worst accidents ever in Guatemala. They literally used that type of language, like worst history, multiple semi-trucks, like a dozen cars, really, really bad accident. We were in that traffic for another two and a half hours. And what was supposed to take us seven hours took us 14. We were in the van for 14 hours that day. Then we get to the airport finally when it was fly out time in Guatemala to Chicago, no problem. Land in O'Hare. Some of you know where I'm going because I mentioned O'Hare. Uh, our customs exchange took longer than our layover, so we missed our flight. And they said, well, you can take out another flight 24 hours later. We're like, no. Uh, like that's just, we're too close to home. Like we can't do that. And so we're like, we'll just run a car. We'll drive the rest of the way home. It's only six hours. It's just the middle of the night. Who cares? Uh, and so we, we go to the rental car company and we walk up and I ask a couple of questions. He asks me a couple of questions. He starts speeding up. He starts rapid fire questions, starts typing stuff in. I'm like, what is going on right now? And he prints out a, a receipt. He goes, you see how this says 8:50 PM? I said, yeah. He goes, watch this. Enters our info again, print error. He goes, if this wouldn't have printed out by 8:50, you weren't getting a car tonight. Oh, I walked up at 8.47. I'm like, wow, that was awesome. So we finally get a van. We get in the car. We drive home. We have a blast. We're singing. We're sleeping. We're doing, I, I was driving. I wasn't sleeping. But we got home. We made it. It was great. When God is inviting us home, when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, there's going to be delays. There are going to be people against you. There are going to be accidents. There are going to be struggles. But what Jesus is saying is, you will make it home. You will. I am the way. I will bring you there. It's just a matter of how. It's just a matter of how. And so how can we be sure, how can we be absolutely sure that we would go to heaven when we die? To all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, he gives the right to become children of God. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he will take us home. Jesus is our certainty. He is our confidence. The band's gonna come out and we're gonna sing a little bit. And if you don't know, this is what singing in church can be. 
We're like, wait a minute. Jesus, you're handling that? Jesus, you're washing away my sin? Jesus, you're taking care of my junk? Jesus, you're going to offer me that relationship and that reward and that healing? I want to tell you and the world how grateful I am. I want to praise you for who you are and what you're doing. So as the band comes out and we prepare ourselves to respond to God in that way, would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your salvation. Thank you that it's a gift that you give and it's not contingent upon how well we navigate this life. God, I pray that we would truly lean into the fact that we we can trust in our God. The invitation is there for you to bring us into a place of restoration with you, with each other, with creation, and experience life the way that it was meant to, that you would help us to see the vision of what's to come so that we can understand that this life before us is momentary. It's temporary. And God, I pray that the more and more that we set our eyes on you, that you would fill us with the hope of heaven, with the reality of being connected with you, Jesus. And it's your name we pray. Amen.